It's a classic computing interview session. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I am joined today by Todd Meyer. And Todd is involved in a project, and we're going to speak a lot more about that. But in essentially, and so Todd, you'll jump in and, and straighten me out. But um, basically, reproducing uh, hardware, uh, hardware authentic, I guess, replacement boards for the Apple Lisa. Yes. So anyway, welcome we're... to our interview, and thanks for joining me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So am I correct there? Uh, so let's just start there. There's there's four main boards, right? There's a Lisa CPU board. There's a Lisa dual port parallel card, and then a either Lisa one, Lisa two I/O board, and then either a Lisa one, Lisa two the the, the main motherboard they all plug into. Right. So um, so this is uh, we we called it the Lisa hardware restoration project or preservation project. The whole point uh, was to I mean we all know about the Lisa ones and the Lisa twos with the the, the battery packs that corroded and destroyed the IO boards and mm -hmm. the acid also destroyed the motherboards. And, you know, it's, uh, so that, that's become an issue, uh, uh, a project too. You find people restoring their IO and motherboards with, you know, vinegar and baking soda and things like that. And, uh, so I think that that's, uh, how we started. We were saying, look, there's gotta be an alternative to this. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, because of the notoriety of the Lisa, we said, look, we've got to be able to preserve this going forward. Um, this, uh, this whole venture uh, actually initially started with um, just trying to create working boards. There was never any intention. There was no intention of, of, uh, of mass producing any of these boards. Okay. So, but uh, uh, the, the boards, let's see. There are three. There are three main boards. So we started with um, the Lisa One or Two Five, which are basically the same machine. So right. um, the motherboard and the I, uh, the motherboard for the One and the Two Five are the same. The I/O board uh, is basically the same, except for the uh, R forty seven resistor. And uh, then the CPU board is actually universal. It's universal between the 1, the 2.5, and the 2.10. So um, as far as uh, the restoration project goes, our CPU board is done. And um, we do – so uh, as far as we are right now, uh, we have recreated a Lisa 1 or a 2.5 completely working and then um uh the parallel board uh was just uh, another idea um redesigned a uh, dual port parallel card it's sleeker it's less less busy and uh completely compatible so and that's um, it. I, I guess think, technically that's an expansion card that's why it's not really a board right okay. right it's uh yep goes into one of the three expansion slots so you're specifically saying Lisa 1 and Lisa 2.5. Of course, there was a Lisa 2.10, right? Yes. So it's not compatible with that? Uh, so the, uh, the, the Lisa 2.10, honestly, is a, is a different system. The I.O. board and the motherboard were redesigned. Mm. So uh, the only thing that is universal in the Lisa systems is the CPU board. So let's say you had a, a Lisa 1 CPU board. You could take that out and stick that into a 210 
and, okay. and there would be no problems. But this is the problem with um, uh, the two fives and the two tens that are out there. Uh, if you need a motherboard for your two five, it has to be two five specific. And this also has to do the two five was intended to be sold with the external profile, right? The five, and that's why it was called the two five five megabyte external profile. The two ten had the internal ten megabyte widget. So the big, the, uh, when you just take a look at the two motherboards, uh, you can see that the two ten or Mac XL uh, motherboard does not have the external parallel right, port. Right. It was made internal for uh, the internal widget. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, the motherboard was redesigned and the I.O. board was redesigned. And there's some issues on the motherboard with video and things like that that are not on uh, the 2.5 motherboard. So if somebody had a, um, you know, a Lisa 210 and... Uh, Let's just we'll keep it simple and generic. Just it's it doesn't work, okay? And if so, if they were to, if they want to buy any of these boards, but they could they replace the the motherboard then with the with the sapient motherboard and then now use, uh, you know the uh, I/O board in it and the CPU, uh, CPU board and make it work that way or no? No, the uh, the two ten I/O board is not compatible with the two five motherboard. Well, what I mean is if they replace the motherboard in it though with your motherboard, would that work? Right. No. Okay. Uh, they they uh, basically if they had a two ten that didn't work. Well, see, first of all, with the two ten, Apple was wise. They removed the battery pack altogether. Uh-huh. So. The two tens that are out there don't have the corrosion problem, and this okay. is where, why we focused on the one and the two five because we wanted to to overcome the fact that all these motherboards and I/O boards were just destroyed beyond repair because of the battery corrosion. And even today, you'll find somebody who knows very little about the Lisa they found in their attic, and they'll put it on eBay, and um, they'll show pictures, and it'll still have the the battery pack on there. Yeah. And everybody, yeah. first thing everybody does is scream, "Oh my gosh, get that battery pack off!" But mm-hmm. uh, no, so the, the the project was to recreate these boards, and the two ten is a, is a completely different system as far as the I/O and the motherboard go. So if you have a two ten that doesn't work, you're going to need to find you know a, a two ten motherboard or a two ten I/O board out there. So, but again, or, there's, so, there's also some reason if you, yeah, you completely take the cage out, right? And then you, um, if you were to use then your replacement motherboard, which you then could use your IO board and of course, either your CPU board or the original, if it still worked again, that would not work though in a 210 because everything, other things are different too. Other things are different. So, uh, if, as a hypothetical, if you wanted to convert your 210 to a 25, you would need uh, a different wiring harness. Uh, okay, so and then um, uh, you would need the new motherboard and the new I/O board, and you could keep your CPU board because the CPU board is universal. Okay, but but then um, uh, you would also need something called the Lisa Light card mm-hmm. because the original uh, wiring harness for the two five was basically the wiring harness for the Lisa one. And it used one of the two Twiggy cables that plugged into what was called the, the Lisa Light card, and that allowed you to connect one of the connect the the Sony three and a half inch drive inside the that we see inside the two five. Is the is the motherboard um, plug? Is that you know you slide out the card cage, and that's the motherboard at the bottom. 
as right. plugging into the chassis or whatever. So is that different too then when you say like the wiring harness? Is that the wire? Yes. That, the wiring that harness. edge, is that different? Uh, my understanding is that, that it is different because um, uh, the wiring harness for the one and the two five has, uh, has the twig, the two, the two cables for the Twiggy drives. Okay. Whereas the wiring harness for the 210 has the one cable has has the parallel cable for the internal widget and then the uh, cable for the internal floppy drive. There's no intermedi- intermediary uh, Lisa light card needed if you have the 210 uh, wiring harness and 210 motherboard. So um, so one, I'll ask one last question and we'll get back to the, the main focus of our interview. But so also, aren't there two different kind of power supplies? So does that also have to do with the 210 versus the original Lisa and 2.5? Uh, there were, I believe one's a 1.2 amp and one's a 1.8 amp, mm-hmm. but I, I, now don't quote me on this, but I think they are completely compatible. You could put a 1.8 in a two five, okay. which, which just, you know, once gives you a, here. yeah, gives you a more robust, uh, power supply. Now, the other thing that a lot of people don't know about the Lisa is, and this is, a, I mean, I know what, I know the facts, but I don't know the why behind it. Um, the the original designers put uh, a lot of the video controls in the power supply. So you'll look at the back of your Lisa, and you've uh-huh. got your brightness and contrast controls, which are part of the power supply. Mm-hmm. So um, when you play with the the uh, uh, Lisa video, uh, you uh, I mean I've seen some people try to replace uh, their power supply with with something that's not a Lisa power supply, it's not going to work because some of the video operation is built into that power supply. How much and where, what it is, I'm not sure. Okay. So, yeah, but um, as far as I know, the, the 1.2 and the 1.8 are, are interchangeable. Yeah, so how did you become involved in this and how did the, the project start? Obviously, it's not related to what you do for a living. So how did this all come about or begin well, I think a lot, a lot of us, uh, including a lot of your listeners, are you know we're hobbyists mm-hmm. or or enthusiasts. techs enthusiasts. Yeah, what what you know? There's a myriad of terms you can use, and um, yeah, uh, I really uh, for me uh, the Mac two line really got me involved. The open architecture. Um, my first Macintosh was a two CI, and uh, I I. That's where I got hooked. I thought the Mac Plus and every the Mac was was cool, um, but the 2CI when it went to color, high resolution. That's when I really got involved and really understood, you know, the GUI interface uh, and uh, uh, things like that. Uh, just and you know, everybody knows about Macintosh, especially now with the advent of the iPhone, that put really put Apple on the map as far as consumers. Uh, understanding that, gee, you know, uh, wow, Apple makes computers too. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, and um, uh, a little bit of history buff, and uh, I remember seeing the Lisa when I was younger with the Twiggy drives, and I was really impressed. I I used to subscribe to Byte Magazine, which is now defunct, and I remember seeing the Lisa on the cover, and uh, them talking about how revolutionary the Lisa was. So. Uh, yeah, that's how I got involved. 
Well, and so have you, um, I, I know you mentioned, now I don't remember, did we talk about this before we started the interview or during it, but we spoke a little bit about how you had bought Alisa from, it was before, I think, Sunroom Marketing. Yeah. So I then you, you gave that away. So did you, did you like buy another one, became fascinated with Alisa and bought another one sometime down the road or yeah, you, restored I, them I, or? Well, I, th- I was actually working on uh, some, some research when I was in school and I just thought, hey, wouldn't it be really cool to tell everybody that, you know, and I did this research on a Lisa computer and, you know, uh, uh, that would, uh, you know, uh, stoke some interest and stoke, you know, some uh, some curiosity. Uh, I mean, from a, a word processing standpoint, you know, you That's can great. even go back to the to the uh, uh, the Xerox uh Alto they had a great word processor, and uh, they just had a reunion with the uh, Alto, and they got one working. Uh, the word <laughs> processor uh, works great, so it's and um, uh, the cool thing is the the Lisa in Mac mode, or the Lisa w- had some tools that you could transfer your Lisa files to to um, actually Microsoft Word. So I would I would write stuff on my Lisa and just zip it over to my uh, my Mac running, uh, I don't know, OS 10, and import it into uh, 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 Microsoft uh, Office and zip it off on my laser printer. So I mean, technically, it was it was uh, it was authored on the Lisa, but it wasn't printed or or you know sent by email on the Lisa. But I just thought that was pretty cool. To say, hey, I created this document on the Lisa. I did, mm-hmm. you know, so. Uh, that's where the that's where the second round of interest came in. But no, I did own a Lisa when I was in college. I needed uh, I I was tired of going to the computer lab for my Pascal class, and so I bought a Lisa, which was then converted to uh, at the time a Mac Plus, and it ran the Pascal software that I needed. So it allowed me to stay in my dorm room and 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 do my homework rather than you know try and check out a you know a time slot at the computer lab but once i was done with the class i was done with the lisa turned mac plus and i gave it to a friend who was taking the class the next semester and i never saw it again <laughs> and of course i re- of course i regret that but yeah. you know that was that was a long time ago so hopefully maybe it's out there somewhere uh, it's probably got to be out there somewhere. Somebody owns it. I I hope that somebody owns it. And since it came through Sunroom Marketing, they were wise enough, I'm sure, to remove the battery pack. So, so there's two other like primary guys, maybe you might say, are um, involved, right? So we have John Woodall, and he runs VintageMicros.com, and uh, he's definitely been established for a while. If anyone doesn't know about him, um, yeah, you know, he kind of became he's sort of the the Lisa guy. He uh, is the Lisa guy. So yep. for for quite a while, I know he lives in South Carolina. But, but the short story is, he basically, when Sunry Marketing went out of business, who they they were they had purchased the bulk of all the remaining Lisa stuff from Apple, and and in fact, that's where when Apple decided to write off a bunch of them, that's why they buried them in a landfill in Logan, Utah, because that's where they were. So Sunry Marketing gave up a good chunk of those for Apple to bury. So then they could take a tax write off, and then Sunroom Marketing obviously stayed in business and kept selling them as well as other. Um, what would you say uh, out, you know, Apple threes and other stuff. But anyway, so then John bought up the bulk of what was left at Sunry Marketing when they they uh, went under. So yeah. so he so he's involved in this, and he's in fact uh, VintageMicros.com will be retailing these boards, right? 
Well, yeah, like I said, it, uh, it was intended to uh, – it was just a project on our own. This was just our own project. Right. And some people did express some interest in in purchasing them. I mean, uh, by no means have we mass-produced anything, uh, but um, if if there is some interest, like I said, I'm, I'm more than happy to help people who are trying to make their Lisa work. You know, because I, that's the biggest thing I see. That was my frustration. I, you know, had a Lisa 2.5 and, and, you know, wanted to make it work, but the corrosion was the big deal. So um, uh, I don't know if the, uh, the, you know, the retail part is the, is the big, definitely not the big focus. The big focus is the preservation. Just right, want right. to preserve the hardware and make sure that leases keep working for uh, working in the future. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if somebody, uh, want, you know, I think we have boards that if somebody wants to purchase something that they might be able to in the future. Yeah. And I, that's, I only mean retail in the fact that he's, he's the one you have to buy him from. <laughs> yeah, definitely. He's the guy, he's the guy, uh, he, as far as, uh, prototyping, he built everything. He put everything together. He was okay. the guy that, so everything, uh, that is on the internet and all the pictures, all of these boards have been built by hand. Mm-hmm. They've been uh, uh, built. Uh, everything's been built by hand, and um, I think we did make available uh, the parallel card. Or, or if not, it will become available after uh, January first. And the uh, yeah, and the reason I did that is because I needed a parallel card. We re- uh, we you know redesigned it, made it sleeker, slimmer, and and. Uh, and I just noticed that, uh, and I had taught, if people see me on uh, uh, Lisa List or whatever, I talk about how, you know, it's really frustrating for these, for people who may not know very much about the Lisa, they find something in their attic, they put it on eBay, and they want $10,000 for it. Yeah. And uh, I saw a parallel card on, on eBay, and they wanted, uh, a, I think, $1,000 for it. And of course, they know nothing about it, so they have to say, as is, untested. I think $1,000 is a lot to gamble on. on a par- when you need a parallel card, and you know they're rare, and <laughs> nobody's got $1,000 to, to gamble on uh, something that's you know, untested, uh, as is, no returns. Who wants to buy something like that? So the parallel card, we definitely, you know, we when we came around, we were like, well, you know, there might be a need for something like this. So uh, I think the parallel card is going to be available soon. And uh, it's built by hand. It's tested. It's guaranteed to work. It's going to be reliable, all new parts. And, uh, yeah, so um, when we built that, I was I was really happy because, uh, you know, I, you can connect your parallel printer and uh, external. If you've got more than one profile, you can throw another profile on your Lisa and, that's great uh, for backups. And then, you know, that creates a great segue for uh, another member of the team, James McPhail. The, the guy is a genius in the truest sense of the word. Um, and he uh, owns Sigma 7. Mm-hmm. And he and John jointly uh, created the uh, X profile. And uh, so uh, the reason for the parallel card, I mean, these all tie in together. Uh, the nice thing about having the parallel card is you can have an external X profile and back up 
either your profile hard drive or your widget hard drive because as great as these things are, if you have one running, I can one thing I can say with 100% certainty, it is going to eventually fail. So the nice thing about the parallel card in conjunction with the X profile is it's a great way to back up your original equipment now for the time when it obviously quits. I think there I think there were Connor drives in the uh, X profile and yeah, they they were not intended to work for 30 years. So um, yeah, and I believe if I could be I'm looking at the webpage for Sigma S- systems. Um, Sigma seven systems. And, um, yeah, so there's a name on here, Sam Newlinger of Dayfax. So I know he was involved in a lot of uh, other, um, Lisa stuff back in the day. I want to say that James, maybe he had something to do too with making, I could be wrong, where he made, um, like an update for the Lisa where it could run system seven, like way back, uh, in the, in the day. So actually there, he has a, he has a, oh, okay. I know what it is. He made a, here it is. He made like the, uh, the accelerator. Accelerator yes. boards for the Lisa. There were three accelerator boards. I think a 12 megahertz, a 16 megahertz, and an 18 megahertz. Yeah. And um, I don't know if they're available. I, I have uh, a 12 megahertz board in one of my Lisa 210s. And I do have an 18 megahertz board that I just have not installed yet. But um, yeah, uh, along with that, um, uh, John calls them the Super Lisas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, the important thing to know, and this is interesting too, going back in history, um, uh, the accelerators only work when you're, you're in Macintosh mode. They will not accelerate your Lisa, hmm. only because the Lisa has uh, a dynamic memory management unit, uh, whereas the, the, the Macintosh at the time, you turned it on, the memory was mapped, and then it stayed static. And uh, so um, I just know that the accelerators don't work on the Lisa side. Uh, so, but the nice thing is you can install that accelerator in your Lisa and then run your MacWorks Plus um, and run the Macintosh side too, and then it's much it's much faster than your than the stock uh, Lisa slash Mac XL would be, would have been. Yeah, and it's all listed under his uh, page where they're no longer available. But yeah, he also did create the um, he created MacWorks Plus Two, which then also allowed the Lisa and Mac Excel to run System Seven Point Five. Yep, so, Seven Point so, Five Five. It's pretty amazing. Yes, yeah, so I remember that back in the day too. So all right, so then and James also he's so he did like the hard engineering of of all the products. And then, and of course, John beta tests it and actually assembles and so on. And of course, he'll be selling them at Vintage Micros. And uh, and then you're kind of like the the main uh, visionary project manager. Well, <laughs> in the most humble sense of Some the way. word, yeah. So, and then we do have one other team member, Rick Regnini. Uh-huh. And so, uh, between all four of us, uh, you know, I'll, I I won't I won't take the title of visionary uh between all four of us uh yeah, you know you're we all came up with all came up with ideas and uh everything has always been a joint effort as far as you know uh coming up with the ideas and uh but obviously james mcphail's expertise you know was uh, just incredible as far as troubleshooting and and making things happen and Rick Ragnini uh, uh, system testing things and troubleshooting things 
just phenomenal beyond my capability. That's for sure. So, so I am going to be talking with John of Vintage Micros tentatively with just within the next couple of weeks. I'm going to interview him, and we're and we will probably briefly talk about this, but primarily we're going to talk about his history of you know buying up the stuff from Sunry Marketing and, and that that whole journey and and such. But so I'm looking at his website, and it shows the four boards, and of course other things too, and he has tentative dates when it looks like. Two of them will be due the uh, January thirty first, one on the twentieth, and one on the fifteenth. So all these, you know, by the middle or the end of of January, as far as you know, then those are still on target. Or I, I'll need to talk to John, I guess. I think you'll have to talk to John. I think on his site he does say, you know, if you want something, make a reservation. Okay. Like I said, nothing was mass produced, and we have no idea what what kind of response there'll be. But you know, uh, there's some extra stuff lying around. You know, if we can make it work for people, I, I think that that might might be an option. But uh, yeah, so far we built. I mean, honestly, with the three main boards—the motherboard, the I/O board, and the CPU board—if uh, you have uh, the correct wiring harness, you can have a brand new Lisa One or a Lisa Two Five. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Ooh. Yeah, and uh, the, the, I so these are some of the things that I think are amazing with uh, the I/O board. So if you have the I.O. board, um, you actually have a Lisa 1 or a 2.5. Mm. Uh, with uh, one jumper, uh, it will um, engage the uh, R47 uh, resistor. And uh, we found a way to partition the, uh, the ROMs. So uh, the ROMs on the, the um, CPU board have uh, an a D partition and an H partition. So with this jumper, just one jumper, and because the two five and the one have the same wiring harness, if you have Twiggies, you switch this jumper over and you can run Lisa OS uh, 1.0 or 1.2. And honestly, you don't even need Twiggies to run a Lisa one. If you have uh, a profile uh, uh, or an X profile, you can run Lisa OS 1.0, 1.2 on the boards that we've created, which I think is cool because, uh, I mean, how many people actually have their the opportunity to uh, play with Lisa 1.0? I mean, without actually owning a Lisa 1 because, mm-hmm. gosh, you see Lisa 1s and you even see Twiggy drives out there and they just go for phenomenal prices right now. Even Twiggy yeah. drives that don't work. So... And if I, I don't mean to be too long-winded here, but it's interesting because uh, you know about the the coexistence of the Lisa and the Macintosh, right? And uh, everybody likes to think about mm, the uh, the latest and greatest. I think it was Lisa OS 3.0, and you know, hey, yeah, it runs 3.0. Well, if you look at the operating systems from uh, one to two to three, the Lisa operating system. Uh, became more and more Macintosh-like. And uh, I'm a big fan of Lisa uh, Operating System 1.0 because that's where the true vision was with the Lisa. Um, it's, a, you know, it's a document-centric. Um, right, versus uh, application-centric. Versus, versus, yeah, document-centric uh, operating system versus the application-centric uh, Macintosh operating system. So that's really interesting. When people go to use Lisa OS... Uh, they'll want to click on the application and know you, you know, you need to pull off a piece of 
uh, the Lisa Write or uh, Lisa Calc paper in order to create your file. So, um, and that goes back to the history of the Lisa. So w it wasn't the first uh, commercially, or, well, it wasn't the first uh, computer to have a graphical user interface, but it was, uh, I'll say this, perhaps people will, will, will argue with me. Uh, I, I like to think of it as the first commercially available computer with a graphical user interface that was actually available to people. Now the Alto, the, the Xerox Alto, uh, they did a pared down version that was commercially available, mm -hmm. but it was, it was a hundred thousand dollars, which was, I mean, so universities and, uh, uh, large companies may have been able to afford it, but obviously that wasn't a personal computer. Right. Belisa came out, you know, $10,000, still not what I would call a personal computer, but it made that, that, uh, the graphical user interface probably incredibly accessible to the masses. And I like to make the analogy with, uh, Thomas Edison. Everybody thinks of Thomas Edison as the inventor of the light bulb. Well, he wasn't exactly the inventor of the light bulb because there were other people at the time that had invented uh, similar similar items. But what Thomas Edison did is he made a standardized system. And to this day, the, the regular light bulb socket is called the, the Edison, Edison connector or the Edison socket. So it's not that Apple uh, was the first person on the uh, uh, first people on the block to have a graphical user interface, but they definitely made it um, accessible to the people and and uh, and made uh, the masses aware of it. And I think that that's where the significance of the Lisa lies in uh, computer history. Well, it, it was definitely the first graphical user interface computer that was mass marketed and available mass marketed. Yeah. And, that's probably the best way to say it. Yeah. To the general public, even though you may not have had very many, you know, normal citizens, if you will, or consumers buying them at $10,000. I, I think it was definitely targeted more to businesses and stuff, but yeah, you could go buy one where, um, you know, the Xerox star in 1981, it, uh, I guess if you really worked at it, you could buy one, but it wasn't, you know I mean? It was marketed through their like, uh, business equipment, you know, um, yeah. channels or whatever. And also and, there's and a lot to be said. A lot of people, it's easy to sort of say Apple ripped off Xerox Park and, and Microsoft ripped off Apple and all this stuff. But, um, yeah, the, this, the single, the one button mouse that the Lisa and then the Mac had, that was a huge simplification over the way Xerox did things. Um, yes, definitely. And so it's interesting because as we've worked through all of this, uh, a, a lot of discoveries were made, and actually, John and I joked that maybe we should write a book called "The Lisa Secrets" mm. or "Secrets of the Lisa" or something like that. In within the uh, so the ghost in the machine, so to speak, within the design of the Lisa, the Lisa there is the hardware capability to support a three-button mouse, huh. which very little people know about. Very, or I should say, very few people know about now. Probably for like if CAD you, work and stuff. Well, the thing is, there's no way to put a three-button mouse on the Lisa. So maybe in the in the hardware, it's possible to support it, but uh, the the Apple team never created software to support it. So um, I think that they may. I don't know. This is pure speculation. Maybe they had intended a three-button mouse, but then we all hear the story about, uh, you know. 
the need to make it simpler. And it's yeah. and it is really interesting. I, I know that the people who had their first Mac Pluses, you know, there was the introduction to the Mac, uh, and it showed you how to use the mouse. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, OS, uh, Lisa OS one, two, and three. They came with an introduction to the Lisa, and you, they would have you roll the mouse to one quarter and click. The one corner of the screen and click the button because it was obviously uh, you know a, a new piece of technology that people were not used to using so and i think that that's funny because now today i uh, nobody thinks about using any computer without a mouse right you know so in which you know i you know that gives me uh an opportunity to talk about the cpu board it, uh, there was the uh, and and people who use the development software for the Lisa will know this too. Once you load the development system, the mouse is 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 not usable. It becomes a, a command line computer. And uh, so the interesting thing is, it was also uh, in the hardware. It was capable to do reverse video, and they did this because they thought. Uh, so the idea with the the, the page white screen. Uh, uh, helped with the metaphor of actually using real paper. But um, uh, the inverse video was intended for people who would write programs and be, uh, you know, using more of it like a command line interface with white lettering on, on a back background. So the CPU board that we, uh, that, uh, we re, you know, redesigned actually takes advantage of that with a jumper and you can uh, make your Lisa operate completely in reverse video if you want to so when i've used the development software i've actually done that uh and it, and you know it's nice well let me mention when you uh so if you go and right now you can do this if you go to vintagemicros.com right on the front page it has uh I'm trying to get back there it, it has new products listed and so you can see the the upcoming products are the four sapient products and they have dates that are expected they have zero prices right now so that'll get updated you know sometime soon i guess you know um so if you click on one of them for instance um you were just talking about the the cpu board on any of them if you click on you know the link it takes you to the page about that board and then there's a picture that you can click and enlarge so, for instance, you had been talking about the I.O. board, so there's a real nice big picture of it. In the upper left-hand corner, it has a, a chip with a pretty clear sticker on it. It says Sony Twiggy. Yes. So, so that's that so, I guess, main chip you're talking about. You can go back and forth with a jumper. Yes. And so this is interesting. With the jumper, uh, the, the one jumper does so much uh, it, uh, because the chip that you're talking about, those that chip has is the uh, – ROM chip that has all of the code that drives the uh, the drives. So uh, within that chip, now if you had an I/O board and you just stuck the Lisa uh, Twiggy uh, chip in there, you know, obviously your I, your all you can do is run Twiggies. Uh, but that ROM chip on that board is able to drive Twiggy drives, the 400k drive. And an 800k drive if you're using MacWorks Plus. That's really so, great. and it's all controlled by that one jumper. So that one jumper will help the ROM chip decide, you know, what drivers it needs to use depending on if Twiggy drives are connected, and it also selects the uh, partition on the ROM on the CPU board as far as the HROMs or the DROMs. Hmm. So. 
Yeah, and it's really interesting, uh, and this goes uh, to James McPhail. If you look uh, by that jumper, he did uh, place the R47 resistor right next to the oh, yeah. jumper, which, which I think is great. Oh, I see it, yeah. And the, and the yeah. little, uh, yeah, the jumper thing, yeah? Yep. So, so, so again, if you go, so you can look at any of these four products and then, um, you know, click on it and you can get a bigger picture to really examine what the boards look like. Let me ask you, like, so I'm looking currently at this IO board. So obviously they, they have to be designed to, to be exactly the same size as the original so that they slide in and they fit properly and all that. But so like, I'm looking at the IO board. Is it, so is it complete? Other than that, is it completely redesigned, or is it still set up like the original I/O board? Does it mostly look like an original I/O board, or was that well, was I, that a consideration to make it, you know, be laid out and look like a real original I/O board, or, or not at all? Well, uh, you know, I I think we set out, uh, you know, first of all, we set out got to make sure that we got to clean up, clean up the corrosion. So the I/O board. There is no place for a battery, mm-hmm, and right. all of all, and and the fact that the clock in the Lisa was only good until uh, nineteen ninety five. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's really no reason. I think a lot. I think uh, all the circuitry for the internal clock, the the the, uh, the all of that was removed. So you'll see some big bare spaces on the I/O board that were no longer necessary. Just circuitry that was no longer necessary yeah and that was that was cleaned up and then of course and this is with all three boards uh so you have to understand you know apple talks about the fact that you know 200 what was it 200 million man hours were put into the design of the liso or something like I that I've i can't remember that, like 50 million dollars yeah. and such. so but it's so funny when you pull out the original boards there's all these jumper wires and cut traces and Mm -hmm. things like that so when we went back to the drawing board it allowed us to remove all of those things too no jumpers no cut traces uh a lot of component substitution uh uh sometimes with uh things that weren't there that just work better um so that's what again is so nice it's these brand new boards brand new parts it just works. Everything's great. And it's, it's, I mean, so if you, let's say you had a Lisa 2.5, I could pull out any one of your boards and put these boards in there. Right. And your Lisa 1 or Lisa 2.5 would not know the difference mm-hmm. with so- software or hardware compatibility. That's and really cool. Yeah. That's, uh, and plus, like, like we had talked about, we added a few of the bells and whistles. So, you know, if you have uh, the boards, you basically have a Lisa 1 or a 2.5 if you want. Well, in designing this, though, do you know, and you may not know the answer to this, but do you think James, did he approach this by saying, okay, here's the original I.O. board, so I'm, that's my starting point. Now, what can I remove or add to to now improve it and uh, optimize it and so on? Do you think that's how he went about it? Or he just like said, it's got to be this size to fit in the, the slot, but now I'm going just from scratch how I'm going to set it up to make the best use of everything. I know it's all, it's, oh, go ahead. I, you know, uh to get uh, the most correct answer for that question, I would have to go to James. Okay. Uh, he's uh, as far as the engineering behind this. He's he's the mastermind, and like like I said, you know, the R forty seven resistor mm-hmm. is not in the original place. He moved it, which I think is really cool. Um, 
But as to the, the technical details of all of that, I, I can't speak to that. That's okay. That's and not, you know what I think I'll do? Is that I think I will, on, on the site with the interview, I'll post these pictures and I'll see if I can't find some pictures of the original boards. And then we can leave it up to people looking themselves and... <laughs> yeah, we can look at it and just see what we, you know. It'd be interesting to compare and see see what we think. Yeah. See what anybody thinks yeah. comparing it. One other thing that um, I think is pretty cool, and this uh, I saw on Apple because there's several re- uh, revisions of say the CPU board, and so uh, there's one revision I have in a 210 that has an LED on the CPU board, mm-hmm. and uh, um, so. I just, you know, I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. So because uh, for the people who like to get their hands inside, uh, I mean, from a safety standpoint, the Lisa was really cool. You take the front or the back off. You can't turn the thing on unless you hit the switch, you know, hit the, the switches that you, uh, uh, the internal switches that say, hey, the machine is completely put together. And nobody's got a hand inside. So, but um when it's plugged in, the LEDs are on to let you know that power is is going to the boards. And even the uh, parallel board has got an LED on it. So I think, uh, you know, that's just something that we added that every board has an LED on it to let you know that uh, it's 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 uh, active. It's it's got juice going through it if you want to play play with it. So um, and if I may talk about the parallel uh, yeah. uh, uh, expansion card. So it's got the LED on it, and um, the the card stop was repositioned. Uh, on the original uh, expansion boards, the card stop is made out of metal, and uh, uh, over the years, this would interfere with the um, the edge card connector and cause shorts. Well, the card stop we have now is made out of plastic, and um, uh, there is a tab that fits right into the yellow uh, ZIF socket cam to hold the card in place. Mm-hmm. So we really did work hard to make make you know not only uh, you know make reliable hardware, but to just make the, make it better mm-hmm. to make it better too. Yeah, I see so, that in the picture. Yeah. So. Um, uh, the uh, I think the, the parallel card is where we got to the point where we're saying, hey, you know, this might be something that somebody wants to buy. Completely redesigned, slimlined, very sleek. Uh, you know, fewer parts, and it's incorporated the the new stop and the new uh, cam guide and everything like that. And like I said, you know, I, uh, if you wanted to, you could throw three of them in there and have six external <laughs> parallel printers or, or or profile drives if you wanted to. So you could really expand your uh, your um, your uh, hard uh, your hardware storage, your hard uh, hard drive storage, if you wanted to. Now, could so, someone theoretically do? You, or I don't know if you guys ever discussed this. Could you take the motherboard? Yeah, if you made your own mounting or whatever, and you take the I/O board and you take uh, you know, CPU board and even a parallel if you needed that, you know, and then, and then like get a, some type of display. I guess you'd have to have some type of display circuitry. Could you basically build your own Lisa, you know, outside of a original P- a Lisa cabinet and screen and all that stuff and power supply? Honestly, I do not think you can because, uh, well, you'll need a power supply for the video because the video circuitry and the, the power and yeah. it, it works with the power supply. So you would need a Lisa power supply, and you would need the uh, Lisa 
uh, video. However, let me say this: uh, there is uh, we did incorporate on that motherboard um, still the RCA video out. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it's really funny to look back in the old uh, uh, literature, and it's like, yeah, any television with an RCA input, um, the Lisa actually has very specific uh, uh, requirements for that RCA input. And uh, so you can't you, you try and stick it on any monitor today, today, and it won't work. So there must have been something with the televisions uh, 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 in the early '80s that allowed this, and the monitors to the, that allowed this. But I think there are only a couple monitors out there that you can actually put on and make it work. So, but to get back to your question, honestly, you would have to have a Lisa before you could use these boards. Okay. So the whole uh, the whole prospect of building a new Lisa, no, <laughs> you 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 couldn't do it with these boards. Okay, um, you would uh, you'd you'd need the chassis, you'd need the wiring harness, you'd need all the video, and if somebody's ambitious enough to try and recreate that themselves, I I say go for it. <laughs> but just in the effort that it took for us to make some reliable boards, it's a lot of hard work and. So again, you know, it makes the leases that are out there uh, that have survived, it makes them operable again. Well, tell us a little bit about, because you mentioned you have a few leases. So what do you have? So I, uh, I've uh, got, I've got, gosh, six or seven leases, actually. Wow. <laughs> so I've got what I call, I mean, uh, you know, uh, in try to try to be humble here, but I call it the sapient Lisa because it has the motherboard, the IO board and the CPU board. And I'm using the, uh, the parallel, the dual parallel, uh, card mm. in there. And so that's a Lisa one slash two five. And, uh, I have, a uh, uh, an original profile and an X profile running off of that. Wow. And so, um, and then, uh, in all honesty, I have something that I call, uh, John and I jokingly call the sacrificial Lisa. Uh, John built a Lisa 210 for me that, you know, it was basically cobbled together. And um, it was just used for me to, to tinker with. The uh, if if anyone is familiar with the uh, floppy emulator by Big Mess of Wires, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, I, I used uh, I used my sacrificial Lisa uh, when I started playing with the floppy emulator. We called it the sacrificial Lisa because it, it was a sunk cost. We built it, and if it got destroyed, we weren't going to be upset. The funny and the reason why I tell you this is. Because that has been probably the most robust machine I have ever owned. I, I've blown things up. Uh, smoke has come out from various things. But the machine itself still continues to run. Frank and Lisa. Yeah, Frank and Lisa, <laughs> exactly. And so the interesting thing about uh, the Lisa 2.5 and 2.10 is they have a socket and, uh, or a place for a socket that has uh, that uses what was called a math coprocessor, and actually it was uh, a data encryption chip because Apple had no idea how far uh, Lisa would go. And in fact, uh, uh, you know, stop me if I'm rambling, but 
NASA was a very big user of the Lisas. They used Lisa Project, and that was a big piece of the uh, of the development of the space shuttle. Huh. So, um, uh, in fact, I did buy one Lisa off of eBay that uh, was was owned by uh, NASA, and um, uh, because it had the emblems and stickers on it and everything like that. But yeah, they used Lisa Project. Uh, for a lot of uh, stuff that contributed to the space shuttle program. So uh, there is a place that you can install a socket on the 2.5 and the 2.10 uh, that will take a math coprocessor slash data encryption chip for you know whatever needed to be encrypted. Um, oddly enough, when we built the Franken Lisa, the sacrificial Lisa, I was looking through it one day and I was like, Wow, it's got the socket for this uh, this chip that you know. I, I it, it, you know I was just amazed. I mean, how, how advanced my sacrificial Lisa was. So the interesting thing too is the 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 um, there's no software uh, for the Lisa that was made commercially available that utilized that coprocessor. But looking through the development kit, uh, there's certain uh, uh, instructions in Pascal that. Uh, you can use to take advantage of that chip. Wow. So there was definitely, an, I mean, there was intention there, but uh, no, yeah, I just, uh, so I laugh. I still have the, uh, uh, John and I refer it affectionately to the, the sacrificial Lisa, but it's still running strong. I, I just, I have one Lisa that is uh, 210 and it is a, it's a basically a stock 210 Lisa. And that's basically the first one I bought. And it, uh, uh, and I run the Lisa OS on it, and, and that's that's the original one that I thought that you know I would write up all my uh, uh, research and things like on, and so I still have that one too. Well, I think um, I think this has been a good talk. And do you, is there anything else you'd like to mention? Something we didn't cover that you want to throw in there? Or? Um. Well, no. I mean, I, I uh, like I said, this was a, a project, a labor of love, just to uh, to preserve the leases. Uh, I know that a lot of people are excited about it. I've seen some some nice comments on on it uh, on on it, and uh, I just want to keep the leases running so that people can enjoy their leases, you know, and go from there. And you know, the sky's the limit. Uh, yeah. I have no idea what's going to come next because, again, this is this is just all all for fun. So, yeah, and I, you know, thank you for having me and allowing me to talk about all of this stuff and be able to explain, uh, you know, all the thoughts and everything behind behind our project. No, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for listening, and please check out some of my other interviews at classiccomputing.com. I have also interviewed a few famous personalities like Ed Roberts, creator of the first personal computer, and John Scully, the man who quote-unquote fired Steve Jobs. Please also consider taking a look at my book for sale, Classic Computing, The Complete Historically Brewed. It's essentially the history of computer history nostalgia. It contains reprints of all of my classic fanzines, plus my personal story about collecting computers and becoming a computer historian. See you next time.